Well, here we are again on Sunday morning, opening up the Word of God together. Let's get straight into it. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Open up your Bible, or switch it on, uh, and we're going to have a look at it in just a moment. Uh, and we're in this Reset series, which we've done lots of introduction to. Uh, and so far, we've looked at being devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to the resurrection of Christ, the fact that he's alive, he's risen, he's ascended, he's seated, it's a finished work, and he's ruling and reigning, uh, and that beautiful kind of message there about being just devoted to the word of God uh, and then last week we looked at uh, this whole issue of community and what it means to fight for community and Shirley opening that up for us uh, and today we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer and it's fascinating to me because I believe God is underlining to us the importance of prayer. Uh, interestingly, uh, right at the beginning of this year, as part of the Vision Sunday, I preached uh, and I said in that, I said, the battle is not going to be won by running around, getting busy and busier, but we fight with spiritual weapons. And I said this, a central one is prayer. Uh, and then we had our Elijah series, uh, Anointed and Stressed, and uh, I preached on prayer in there. And uh, we preached around that subject. And then unbeknown to me, uh, when we invited Guy Miller to come and speak, and he spoke uh, via video, uh, a virtual message to us just a couple of weeks ago, he said, I want to speak on prayer. Uh, and he brought that brilliantly practical message uh, on prayer and opened up that to us today. And now here we are again uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. And so let's read the scripture uh, and then let's open it up together. So Acts 2, 47, 42 to 47, it will come up on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Come on, let's pray together. Let's believe God for an impartation uh, and a sense of something living in our hearts, uh, not just in our heads as we listen to this message. Lord, I pray that you would impart revelation to us now in Jesus' name. Do you believe there's revelation to come that's going to unlock the people of God uh, into uh, a fresh impetus of Holy Spirit, uh, God-focused power? Uh, and Lord, I pray you do that in us. May, may we at God first be known as those who devoted themselves to prayer in Jesus' name. And come now, Holy Spirit, upon us, rest on us in our lounges, whether we're on our own or with family around us, whether it's hectic in the living room and whatever's going on. I pray for our Holy Spirit impartation in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this devotion to prayer doesn't mean that they had an intellectual agreement. It means there was a passionate commitment to something. Shirley unpacked this kind of with us last week, this whole thing about there's something that you're pressing into that you're fighting for. Uh, and you do a study of uh, the prayer meetings in the book of Acts and suddenly you find they're incredibly exciting moments where the ground shakes, people are released from prison like Peter, there's answers to prayer, there's a, there's a God-focused sovereignty. Uh, you sing, yes, he's sovereign. Oh, sovereign God, stretch out your hand. That's how they prayed in Acts. And I think Christians today know that prayer is important intellectually. They kind of know it 
And they, they know it's important for, for churches and they know it's important for ourselves. But I think few would be described, either churches or individuals, as those being devoted to prayer. And I think there's a challenge in us. And in fact, in the midst of COVID-19, I wonder whether one of the greatest outcomes uh, of this virus might be that the global church is arrested in terms of knowing that they need to turn to God in prayer uh, for the breakthrough. Uh, and so we, we, we're to be a, a people who are devoted to prayer. But I believe there are some things that we've got to know and understand in our minds to walk into that devotion. And so I just want to make a couple of basic points, really. And the first one is this, that that prayer is puzzling. It's it's a confusion. It's like, why does prayer even exist? And I think in our context, many of us want to take a box and squeeze God into it in line with the level of our understanding. Few of us, I think, are comfortable with mystery. And I think that's especially true in a Western context where rational thinking actually has become an, uh, an idol because if we can think it through and make it fit, then that's what really counts. And it's a stronghold, actually, in the West. It's a stronghold in our nation that, that because we can rationalise it, it must be real. But, you know, there are some things that are beyond your rationalisation. There are some things that are a mystery. And prayer is one of those. It, it flies in the face of Western rational thinking. If God is sovereign and self-sufficient, why does he need me to pray? That's a question probably we should wrestle with. How come when I pray in line with God's expressed will in the word of God, why don't I always see an answer? Why has God made himself seemingly dependent on my prayers or has he? And th there are incredible questions that demand, I'd rather God fit it in this box and he doesn't. And I'll tell you this, let me just challenge you, this as an aside, if God is uh, fitting in the box of your understanding, the truth is that you've reduced God to your level. You've made him a very small God that you can put in your pocket and keep there safely and securely and with clear, rational understanding. You know, never, ever lower God to your level of understanding. Never do that because God won't fit in that box. You know, God hasn't promised to answer all our questions. Sometimes we have to accept God is not answering the questions we are asking. And we have to be honest about that and say, do you know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer. And so devotion to prayer comes from a humility. And I think that's actually why, why prayer even happens, because it comes from a heart of humility that says, your ways are higher, Lord, than my ways. But I trust the fact that you have said prayer matters. So I'm going to pray. And so I think that's really important. But listen, this is really key. There's this mystery, there's this paradox, there's this stuff I, I can't get hold of and put God in this box and doesn't fit and he's sovereign, but somehow he's, he's, he's done this economy of, of things where if I pray, stuff happens, and when I don't, stuff doesn't happen. And yet in the mystery, listeners, in the mystery is the glory. Often the way, in the mystery is the glory. And so prayer points us to a partnership between God and his people that is breathtaking, that is glory filled, that is glorious, but it's totally puzzling. John Wesley, a uh, famous preacher, he said this, I think provocatively, he said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. That is a mind bender. <laughs> that is, that is, you, you just can't get your head around this because God seems to have set a system 
whereby he's decided to partner with us in things that have, have eternal impact and influence. It's a mind bender. And I think many of us have, have missed the glory of prayer. And no wonder this devotion feels like a task because the, the glory of prayer, we've, we've reduced prayer, the glory of prayer to a task that I have to tick off the, the sheet per day. I must have my quiet time. And by the way, I'm quite busy and to pray, I can't really fit that in. Uh, and these early Christians devoted themselves to something. But, I, you know, in this modern day, I can't do that. And I think it's because we've missed the mystery of it. Today is about understanding the way God has set things to run. There is a kingdom of God economy where our prayers change the course of history and reverberate into, into eternity. It's how the people of God take a stand. I want to put it that way. That there's this moment where, where actually you can feel locked in and God has called the church to take a stand. Ephesians 6 says you stand firm. Elsewhere it says a little bit later on in Ephesians 6 says, therefore you pray in the spirit all kinds of prayers all of the time. There's this, there's this continuous sense where the church are taking a stand. And if we don't understand the glory of prayer, we can't devote ourselves to that. And it's in the devotion that we take a stand in the spirit and we begin to pray into things and see those mountains move. James put it this way, he said, you do not have because you do not ask. <laughs> is that, if it means that, if it means that, that that's got to shake us up in terms of our prayers. And, and there's not time, I, I could spend just an hour on this, just unpacking these next Bible verses, but I could name Bible person after Bible person that will convince you, that will help you to answer, oh, that's how prayer works, that's the mystery of it, that's the puzzle of it, that's the glory of it. Abraham, Genesis 18, verse 23 to 33, literally barters with God for Sodom about not destroying it barters with God then you get to Moses Exodus 32 and Moses is up the mountain while the people down below uh, there with Aaron and others are, are, are making this golden calf and it's an idol and they've turned away from God and they've turned away to another turned towards another God and God is fuming and he says God says this to Moses now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them then I'll make you into a great nation. So God offers Moses a fresh start. He says, at least I can trust you. I, at least I can trust you. I will make you into a great nation. But Moses comes back to God in Exodus 32, verse 14, and he barters with God like Abraham did. And it says this, he says, he says, as Moses spoke to God, this is the outcome. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. There was a there was a declaration by God and a man stood before God and made a case and negotiated with the living God and things changed as a result. That's what prayer looks like. Or Daniel. Daniel's sitting there reading the scripture. He's reading Jeremiah and he reads in it. He realises that, that God's promised to set the people free. And, he, and, and, and this is a promise of God. God's spoken. You know, the people of God in exile in Babylon and it's not a good situation, but God's promised freedom one day and blessing and deliverance and healing and restoration is coming soon. And then he reads in the scripture, yes, this is coming at this point. What does Daniel do? Sit back and think, that's great. I'm going to just eat some food and wait for that moment. No, 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 it doesn't say that. It says in Daniel 9 verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer 
and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel approaches God to pray in the blessing, the inheritance of God. Can I say this to us, God, first? If I could speak this to us through all my heart, there are some proclamations, some declarations God has made over the global church, but also over God first, some huge promises that, that will be this boiler pot of revivalists that will that will bring healing, that will that will touch our town and our region, that will touch Europe, and we're believing for a transformed people that transform the world. Let me tell you that there's an inheritance, a declaration, a mountain of inheritance that God has given us, but it will take a people who say, I'm devoted to praying it in I'm bringing it in through prayer what about this one this is a shocker actually Ezekiel versus uh, chapter 22 I, I think this is amazing verse 30 says this God says this I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it but I found none that's a sobering comment. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. I mean, this, there's not time to unpack this. This is mind-bending stuff. This is the puzzle, the mystery of prayer. But in this moment, God speaks about judgment and pouring out his wrath uh, that will consume them with his fiery anger. And he says, I'm just looking for one person. I'm just, just looking for, for, for a man among them who will come to me and pray. And I found none, so I will pour out my wrath. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's there. It's a, it's a powerful reminder of the economy of the kingdom that God has set up, that he will, he will partner with us as we partner with him in prayer. And so prayer is a bit like this. If I could uh, articulate it in this illustration, it's a, it's a bit like this, that, that God has a checkbook that needs counter signatures and and he's he, just imagine he's writing a check and he signs it but it needs a counter signature to release the blessing from that check to release the resources from that check many organizations have those we have those at god first over a certain amount it needs two signatures to release the funds and i think this is how prayer works it it's that kind of dynamic that that god has declared some things he's put divine destiny to some things he's written some checks but in his economy he said no no i'm not going to unlock that until you come in to the throne room and pray uh, and as you do you sign the check that i've already signed and you release the resources of heaven paul bilheimer uh, wrote a book destined to the throne which is shaped uh, a bit of how i see uh, prayer and how it works but he says this in his book he says through the plan of prayer, God actually invites a redeemed man into full partnership with him, not in making the dis divine decisions, but in implementing those decisions in the affairs of humankind. So it's not that we make the divine decisions, but somehow, as God's written this check, we come into the throne room and pray, uh, and, it, and it releases the implementation of those decisions into the human affairs of humankind that has to change our view of prayer please come to the prayer meeting i turn out because i'm feeling guilty no 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 no. you you are learning how to reign with jesus and stand with authority as a son of god or as a daughter of the king and so you want to see the homeless decrease? You want to see homelessness decrease? Pray. Abuse stop? Pray. You want to see drug addiction broken? Then you pray. You want to see broken marriages restored? You pray. Let me put it like this. You start with prayer, then you move to action. It's in that order. 
And so you you start with praying and then you begin to live out the kingdom life. So it's always a blend of both. But where you start is really important. You start with the with the power of prayer, not the power of your own human busyness and activity. So you begin to start with praying, praying for those things, praying God, seeking God, seeking his his will, praying, praying the kingdom in. And then you begin to live the kingdom lifestyle. Jesus put it this way, seeking first the kingdom, making kingdom orientated decisions and priorities. S.D. Gordon put it this way. He said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Get it? Really straightforward. Ian Bounds said it like this. He said, prayer is like striking the winning blow and an action is mopping up the results. It's kind of overstating some of it to some degree because we know it's often parallel, a blend of things. We understand that. But, but if you don't get this spiritual principle, why would you devote yourself to something that feels like it's not making a difference? So it's got to be one in the heart and the mind all at once. And so God is, let me put it this way, provocatively pleading with you to pray. He's not simply inviting you. Please, Duncan, would you come and pray? It'd be really nice to hang out and maybe we could say a few nice things to each other. He's not saying that. He's begging us to pray because somehow it's signing the check that releases the decisions, divine decisions of the Almighty. So it's a much higher view of prayer. And so Matthew 7, 7, it says this, ask. This is how one translator put it, ask. I ask you to ask, seek. I entreat you to seek, knock. I urge you to knock. And so there's this God's saying, your prayers really matter. They're a package of power for the breakthrough, for the bringing of the kingdom. And so in puzzling and a mysterious way, in some degree, God has bound himself to his creation, the creator somehow. And it's a, it's a challenging thing. But as I said at the start, it's a mind bender. And when you get this, it kills fatalism because you start to take on your royal responsibility and devotion comes out of, as we'll look at in a moment, our identity. James 5 says it like this, the earnest prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human, as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when, the, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield it's crops. It's normal people like you. Just say it to yourself. And perhaps if there's other people in the room, say it to them. It's normal people like me. It's normal people like you that can change the world through prayer. You can change. You can sign some checks that will release the kingdom of heaven onto earth. That will bring heaven to earth as you pray. And then just as we move on. So that's the first thing. Prayer is puzzling. It's a mind bender. It's mysterious. But there's prayer and purpose. Too many Christians don't know why they're here or who they are. And that, if I can put it this way, that is why the church globally and universally has become so flabby over the years. Because if I'm honest, Christians are walking around with not a clue why they're on earth or who they are. 
And so many Christians honestly believe, honestly believe this, that, that the church exists to entertain them. They believe it because the way I know they believe it, because they, 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 they will complain about the songs that are sung or they'll complain about the lighting. And, and suddenly you realize, no, this wasn't about you. This is about the glory of God and everything coming under the headship of Christ. And by the way, this body of the church, this glorious thing is not here to feed you and your whims and your likes and, and deal with your dislikes. You are part of his story not you he's not part of your story understand and so you've got to have a big view of the church remember David Devonish where I used to be uh, at church where he led uh, was uh, he, he would talk about this and he, he would say God created the world to have a bride for his son and a people for himself think about it God perfect trinity perfect community and so there's a father who has a family there's a son who has a bride There's a Holy Spirit who has a temple. And can you see that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the the kind of the the parallels with the people of God fulfilling, somehow blending with God almost uh, and and, and being united with Christ into his family. So we're we're a family to the Father. We're, we're, We're the bride to the son to the bridegroom with a temple of the holy spirit it's glorious truth and so the church when the church is built guess what the gates of hell are pushed back and do not prevail that's why jesus said it this way in matthew 16 he said and i tell you peter uh, that on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it it's through the church that principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities will see God's manifold wisdom through the church. Ephesians 3.10 says it. And so this is why purposeless Christianity or the distracted church guts me to the core. In fact, it guts God so much. He says when the church is like that, when it's purposeless and it's distracted and it doesn't understand the glory of prayer and doesn't step into that. God says it's like a, it's like lukewarm. And what I want to do is vomit it out. Ouch. That is not a good description. That's not a good review of your church when you get before God says, what do you think of the church, Lord, that we built? Well, it made me want to vomit. That's not, that's not a good review. But it's the way the scriptures talk about it. It's the way God, is, God speaks about it. He says, I, I, your, your Christianity uh, is not about living a nice life and then getting to heaven. He's saying your Christianity is about living as empowered sons and daughters who bring the realities of heaven to earth through prayer and as you pray you take this stand in God and we've got to know our purpose and listen church we 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 know that we can know our purpose by someone explaining it to us look this is your purpose this is what it's about this is how it works even a sermon like this oh yeah yeah yeah, okay I get it I get it intellectually or we can get to purposeful action by being told what to do. We can understand that as well. But let me tell you, that is not where the Acts 2 real devotion comes from. Real deep devotion flows flows from the internal to the external, flowing from identity. Because identity motivates from the inside. It's a new covenant way of the motivation. Do you know, I could get people to do all sorts of things through guilt. I can tell them that they should and they must and they're awful if they don't. Uh, I, I, can, I can breed religion, no problem. But the trouble is with religion, it's all external. It's all coming under the law. And what it does is it's, it's, it's form without power. That's what religion is. Whereas we're talking about devotion that flows from the internal being of an individual who knows who they are in Christ. 
That's a very different way of coming to the throne room and praying. That's, a, that's an authentic devotion that's flowing from internal, not because the pastor said, but because I know who I am and now I'm roaring with authority because when I come into the throne room, I understand, I come to my father in heaven and I draw to him. You know, God, God's raising up sons and daughters who know what they carry. Ephesians 2.19 says it this way. You are members of God's family. Will you hear that, church? Will you hear that? You're members of his family. That this devotion to prayer is rooted in this deep and profound transformation that has occurred, that has opened up this incredible relationship with your heavenly father. And two things happen out of that understanding identity at least. That, that you begin to realise you can influence the Father. That's a mind bender as well. But, but your family connection gives you some sort of uh, ability in this divine economy of the, of the sovereign God with his people that we can somehow influence God. And Jesus modelled it. He said he drew away to be with his father and he exercised authority and influence from the place of intimacy and identity having been with the Father. And you've got to get a revelation of that if devotion to prayer is going to be birthed in these days, in these COVID-19 stained days where you begin to say, Lord, would you wipe that away? You've got to begin to say, oh, I'm coming as a son of God. I'm coming as a daughter of God. He, he is our father and we are his children. In fact, we, we are chosen to ask. John 15 says it. says, look, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last and the father will give you whatever you ask for in my name you want to understand prayer jesus says look to a father with his kids that's how it is jack hayford put it this way prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of god working hand in hand with god towards the realization of his redemptive purposes on earth children influence their father it's a relational thing it's hard to understand in our position as creatures and he's the creator but it's true children do influence their father I, recently with with some of this hot weather you know my 18 year old daughter annie decided that she must have a paddling pool she asked for a paddling pool she begged for a paddling pool she said i'll add some money and help buy the paddling pool let's get the paddling pool she strategized on how we could get it in a lockdown situation and worked it out worked it out and in the end guess what Yes, even though I wasn't particularly set on a paddling pool, guess what's in our garden? Yep, a very big paddling pool. Guess who was in the paddling pool the first day we had it? Yes, Dad. And uh, I'm 46, uh, and there you go. And so that is kids influencing their father. But, you know, we are influenced as well. Secondly, we, we influence the father, but we're influenced as we devote ourselves to prayer. And so... This year, Joe and me will be married 25 years. And what I've noticed that over the years, we've increasingly become aligned in how we see the world and how we talk about things. And, and it's a product of spending time with one another, finding out what each other's priorities are and seeing the world increasingly similarly. Not always, not always perfectly, but increasingly similarly in terms of what's important and what's not, what are our values. And I tell you, when you draw aside as a child of God and you're with your father, you begin to be influenced by him. You begin to think that mountain doesn't look like a mountain anymore. It looks like a mound, actually, because my father is who he says he is and I know him. You begin to see that impossibility doesn't exist. You, you, you ask your father to break your heart with the things that breaks his heart. Ask your father in heaven, show me how you see the homeless. 
Show me how you see the lost. Show me how you see the hungry and allow his, his DNA in his spirit to invade yours and allow that perspective to be to become your perspective and you see what happens you will pray in a different way you will see the world with a fresh compassion you will be overwhelmed by the heart of the father and devotion to prayer springs out of that reality that's what happened to Nehemiah he he saw that Jerusalem his hometown was in a mess you can read about this in the old testament and it says when I heard these things I sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's heart broke and he prayed. And you can read his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. Does your heart break for the needs of your town or this nation? Does it move you? If it doesn't, get with the Father and allow him to speak. And so prayer is puzzling, but prayer has a purpose. It's flowing from identity, not external religion, but from a heart that understands who we are in Christ, who our Father is, that we influence the Father through prayer and we are influenced ourselves as we devote ourselves to prayer. And so there's much more I could say here, different aspects of prayer, how we to pray as individuals, how we to pray corporately. But I want to say this, that there's some practical applications that we're trying to outwork at the moment here at God First. And the first is this, that, that, there, that there are moments and seasons of prayer. And so our, our Zoom at noon is that. We are breaking into this kind of uh, Zoom prayer initiative. And so Monday through Friday at, at noon, we're praying for half an hour. That's a seasonal prayer response. Weekly, on a Wednesday, every week, we're praying and we're fasting. Fasting to God, saying, this is, I'm just setting my attention on you today and I'm praying and I'm fasting. Then we're gathering monthly to pray. Did that as churches together last month. Uh, this month, you know, and we're doing that month by month by month. And then weeks of prayer. We have two weeks of prayer uh, per year. And then there'll be specifically led moments where God just speaks and says, I need you to gather to pray. That's not in the calendar. That's spontaneous and it's God's initiative. And so that's how I want to land today. Uh, I hope that is helpful in terms of being a people devoted to prayer, lifting up perspective. May God bless you uh, as you step into just saying, Lord, how do I apply that to my life? How do I work that out as an individual? As group questions that you've got for connect groups. But God bless you. Thank you for listening. Uh, and let me just pray for us. Uh, and then I'll hand back. Lord, I just pray that you would cause this importance of prayer, the priority of prayer to be almost like it's set into our DNA as a church. That we would learn what it is to sign some checks in the spirit and release the resources of heaven that what is in heaven would come to earth because we as the people of God at God first have got hold of praying both as a church and individuals I pray in the name of Jesus